Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. One, one pitch. Basketball pulled and Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now, here's Adam, Scott, Heath, and Chris. Welcome to the new era of fantasy baseball today. JK, it's still the same show. You know, the one you love. Except with me, plus one. Frank Stample with a ton of product in my hair. I had to impress Adam Azer on my first day hosting. So, Adam... What do you think of the hair? How did I do? Yesterday was alarming. Because when I've seen Frank, he, as far as I remember, he spends about 15 minutes on his hair every day. Yesterday was like, like you were living through a pandemic or something like that. It was just really <laughs> wild. Not, <laughs> you know, not, no product. Today it looks good, man. It looks good. You have like a cool side part. You got the beard going with it too. Very sharp, sharp looking man. Yeah, and I just want to address the elephant in the room at the top of the show and remind everyone that Adam Azer is not going anywhere. He's still with CBS Sports. He's still going to be on the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast regularly, as will Scott White, as will Chris Towers as well. Um, and look, Adam Azer all has captured a piece of our heart. I think that we can all confidently say that uh, from a fantasy baseball perspective, everything that he's done with CBS Sports. Uh, so look, I'm not going to try and replicate what he's done, there's no replacing Adam Azer. I realize that, but I will try my best to live up to the standard that Adam has set here uh, on the show and in the entire industry. So I just wanted to remind everyone that Adam's not going anywhere. He's That's still right. here. And, and and I just want to say, Adam, it's been great working with you. I'm really going to miss you uh, <laughs> on the podcast. Um, and, you know, it's just been it's been a real joy. Looking forward to what comes next, Adam. Thanks, guys. That's not going to confuse people at all. <laughs> yeah, this is really nice. Uh, Actually, I do want to say, Adam, uh, when when Frank said Adam is not going where anywhere, he meant that literally. Adam yeah, will right. not be leaving his house. <laughs> uh, he also meant that fact, professionally. Like, I it looks be... like Adam's wearing the same shirt as yesterday. <laughs> incorrect. I can promise you that is incorrect. Uh, I've been on HQ doing fantasy football today at noon Eastern each of the last two days. And there is video proof that I'm actually wearing different shirts mm. on Wednesday. That might explain Thursday. why you're not hosting the podcast anymore. That's part of it. Yeah. Happy opening day, <laughs> by the way, everybody. Happy opening day. Yeah. Happy opening day. Indeed. I know Chris, that you are working on a best opening day fantasy performances piece. And I wanted to throw to you for the uh, three Homer club, because when you sent us this before the show, there are some really, really interesting names on this list, just in terms of, all kinds of crazy performances throughout the years, but uh, hit us up with some of the three Homer Club because I think it would we would be remiss not to mention that today was supposed to be the start of the actual MLB season. So the fun thing about this exercise is just remembering like random performances that like Matt Davidson's three Homer game on opening day in 2018. That was only two seasons ago. It feels like a lifetime ago. Matt Davidson is a relief pitcher now, so. That tells you how long ago that was. He hit three home runs, and there was a big rush to grab him on the waiver wire. Turned out he was still... Ow, my cat just bit me. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. I was gesticulating with my arms, and my cat is right next to me, and she just just took a bite out of my hand. Sorry. Uh, So then the rest of the three homer club, Demetri Young, 2005 opening day. Tuffy Rhodes, famously. I believe it was his first game with the Chicago Cubs in 1994. Three solo home runs, four for four. 
And George Bell in 1988. There were no three homer games on opening day before 1988. How about that? How about that? Scott White is here as well. Scott, how are you doing? What can you tell me about Tuffy Rhodes? Because I know nothing about him. Yeah, Chris said famously. I don't remember that either. 1994. Were you even alive yet, Frank? That's that's that was the first year. That was the first year I followed baseball, 1994. And that was the season, of course, they didn't have the World Series because of the strike. My only vague memory of, of this, why I think Chris must be right, is because I every week the newspaper, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, would run the stats for every team like once a week. They'd have a page of the sports section just showing all the stats for every team, and I'd pour over that every week. And I remember this guy named Rhodes. Like, they only showed last names, obviously. It's a newspaper, no space. Rhodes was at the top of the Cubs' stats for, like, the longest time, and it must have all been off of that opening day performance. He he hit three of his 13 career Major League home runs in that game. However, we should recognize Tuffy Rhodes' incredible career in the Japanese League between the Kenitsu, Yomiuri, and Oryx teams, he has 464 career uh, home runs in Japan, Dang. over 500 in his professional career. What a player. Tuffy Sounds Rose. like he didn't get enough of a chance. All right, well, this Back show is off, off the rails already to get things going. I didn't know that we were going to get that far into the way career to, of way Tuffy Way to go, Rose. Frank. Way <laughs> to go. This is the hosting debut of Frank Stample, so it can only go uh, uphill from here. I hope we got a lot planned for the show today. We got a bold prediction. We have a rankings debate mm, between myself and Scott. Uh, we also have five stats from Scott's 48 amazing stats article that is currently on CBSSports.com. Uh, we have the best and worst picks from ADP rounds 16 through 18. And then we have some emails as well. Be sure to email us fantasy baseball at CBSI.com. Let's start things off with the bold prediction. And this comes from Stuart Burkhart. He says the Chicago White Sox will have four top 40 starting pitchers this upcoming season. And I think we could all agree on Lucas Giolito, at least there being inside the top 15, maybe top 20. I've ranked him rather bullishly or inside my top 12. Uh, but it's kind of hard to see the rest of this playing out uh, with Dallas Keuchel, Ronaldo Lopez, Dylan sees Gio Gonzalez currently in the rotation. And there was actually news earlier today that Michael Kopech was just option to triple a as well uh so keep that in mind uh carlos rodon is going to be back between i don't know sometime in july or august so opening day scott i'll throw this one to you Uh, opening day right (laughs) bold (laughs) prediction uh four starters for the chicago white Sox in the top 40 starters how bold is this prediction it's bold it's bold it's 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 conceivable i think the biggest hurdle like even if things go as well as they could for Dylan Cease as well as they could for Michael Kopech uh in in terms of how they perform are they going to I'm I'm hesitant to even say get the innings because of how short the season might be but are they going to pitch deep enough into games to really break into the top 40 both of them along with Lucas Giolito it's unlikely Dallas Keuchel and Reynaldo Lopez, maybe they have a better chance, but I, I don't feel like the upside is as great for either of them. So it's it's unlikely there, too. It's There's certainly a, a timeline where this happens. If we're projecting 
thousands of timelines. There's at least one where this happens, but I don't think it's probably going to be the timeline we're living in. Yeah. All right, Adam, it's time to put your analyst hat on here. Here's the debut. Adam Azer, the analyst of Dallas Keuchel, Ronaldo Lopez, and Dylan Cease. Who would you say is most likely to climb into the top 40 of that group? Dallas Keuchel would be the most likely to climb into the top 40, particularly in a points league. I I mean, I kind of feel like he is going to finish top 40. I don't think he should be drafted that way because he's so unexciting. He's a strikeout liability. He's a whip liability. But he'll probably stay healthy, give you innings, and and like finish top 40, but not really feel like a top 40 pitcher in the process. Uh, The one I'm most likely to draft is Dylan Cease. Ronaldo Lopez, no thank you. Uh, I know Carlos Rodon was mentioned uh, by our listener, by uh, Stewart. He has to be good for me to even... You know, he's not good. Like, I don't care if he's coming back in July or August. He hasn't been good. And, uh, yeah, Cease is the one I want. This obviously completely disagree with this bold prediction. It is very bold. Don't see it happening. But Cease would be uh, of Keiko Lopez and, and Cease. Not even close still on Cease. Yeah, Dallas Keuchel did have 12 quality starts in 19 starts last year. Definitely a whip liability. One three seven whip, three seven five ERA last year in his time with the Atlanta Braves. Now moves over to the Chicago White Sox, of course. But you know, playing in head-to-head points leagues where you potentially get that bonus for quality starts, I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, Chris, any love for Dylan Cease this upcoming season? Because I've seen people mention the fact that Yasmani Grandal being the catcher there. Uh, with his ability to frame pitches as something that will be able to help Dylan Cease tremendously this upcoming season. Love Dylan Cease. Pretty much every time I've written about late round pitchers, he's been one of my top options. When I wrote about possibilities to replace Noah Syndergaard, he was one of the guys I wrote about the other day. The stuff is electric. There's really no questioning it. Uh, the that is not my great. phone. That is not that is Frank's phone. My phone. Not my right. phone. Oh, it's Chris's phone. No one's oh. Was the ringer on? I thought it was. It was silent. Mr. Popular, Chris Towers. Jeez, his well, cat bites him, his phone. You're really making things tough on Frank today, Chris. Like, I just want you to look. My happening? cat is just like standing here like a statue on my desk. It's delightful. Uh, world famous David Bowie. Um, I really like Dylan C's. I think the stuff is electric. The command is the question, but he is one of those pitchers who has kind of embraced the analytical revolution and uses all of the you know, track man and all those monitors. Um, so I, I believe in his ability to figure it out. He spent the off season kind of tweaking his, uh, delivery. And if he does, if he can manage to be a 3.5 walks per nine guy, I think he has ace potential. You mentioned David Bowie, world famous. You had a tweet yesterday that went viral. exactly. That's, truly, that's what I mean. Yeah, truly. Viral. David Bowie, famous, the cat. Yes. Uh, Chris Towers cat. is now also famous. Did uh, what, he get what did I miss? hundreds of thousands for likes? Scott, 500,000. Wow. I can't use Twitter right now. There I, are I think... too many notifications. <laughs> That's a relief to everyone who follows you. <laughs> but... <laughs> 500,000, the most likes I've ever gotten, I think, is in the 500s. So that's... That's amazing. All right, what did, what did you tweet? You. What is, this is the second time I've heard about this. I didn't see it. So what did I miss? So my neighbor uh, across the street put up a sign in her window. <laughs> <laughs> my neighbor put up a sign in her window um, that said, Hi, what's the name of the white cat? 
And so I put up a sign on my window that just said David Bowie. I have a little postcard that has a little drawing of a cat that looks like David Bowie. And so I put that up there. And then I just took a picture of it and posted it on Twitter. And it seems to be bringing joy to people's lives. And it brought joy to my life. It was really, it was just a nice experience. Oh, that's really uh, and cool, And then man. we found each other on Twitter. Someone sent it to her. We're friends now. We're going to meet up after this whole pandemic is over. So it's great. It's delightful. That's really cool. That's really cool. It, it truly is a spectacular story. I was stalking Chris Towers' Facebook earlier today, and <laughs> someone I, be, I believe related to you, Chris, actually posted uh, this person's Instagram story, and it was kind of interesting to just see like her perspective of yeah. things, seeing the other side of the street, uh, seeing your building and, and the notes that you were putting up, and then seeing it from your perspective, obviously, because you're here on the show. So I'm closer with you than I am with her, but it's it was very interesting to kind of uh, just track all of that that happened. Uh, it was really, neat. really awesome story with everything that's kind of going on right now. We can we can use more stories like that, Chris. So whenever you've got any more uh, awesome pet stories, feel free to bring them to the show. Oh, they'll be there. I don't think you have to worry about that. <laughs> if you follow me on Instagram, there's just it's all pets. It's great. <laughs> it's all pets when it comes to Chris Towers. And yesterday I didn't ask me anything on the Fantasy Baseball Today Facebook page. If you're not part of the group, you should be part of the group. And I was asked a ton of questions about topics that have come up throughout the years here on the show uh, regarding Butterfingers, is Die Hard a Christmas movie, uh, is a taco a sandwich? So I'm just going to randomly sprinkle those in throughout the next couple of days so that people can get to know me. uh, And hopefully I have the opposite answers of everything to Adam Azer so that we can argue over that. And that'll be great. But I'll just sprinkle that in randomly. Maybe not today because we have a ton of stuff to get to and... I'm doing a pretty bad job here at pacing. So uh, let's move on to the rankings debate here. Numero uno, the first rankings debate here between myself and Scott White. And Scott, I hope that we can be friends after everything that's about to happen. But I have Jose Abreu, and I believe that I'm on an island here because I, as I've mentioned, I've listened to your guys' show before, and I don't think anybody on this podcast likes Jose Abreu from a fantasy perspective this year. But I have him ranked as my fourth first baseman in Roto this upcoming season, and Scott has him all the way down at 12th. So, Scott, I will give you the floor for this moment to kind of uh, remind people why you are lower on Jose Abreu, maybe than the consensus, but definitely lower on him than I am. All right, well, let's start simply with he was eighth among first basemen in Roto last year. So exactly the midpoint between where you have him and where I have him. He was eighth with a major league leading, right? Or was it just AL leading? RBI total AL leading of 123, uh, which, as Chris has pointed out many times, regardless of whether or not the White Sox lineup is better, it's not the best lineup in baseball. Jose Abreu is not the sort of, the caliber of hitter who should lead the majors in RBI, even if he was in the best lineup in baseball, right? Is that is that basically what it comes down to, Chris? Uh, I mean, if he was batting third for the Yankees, I could see 120 RBI being realistic, but he's not batting third for the Yankees. Right. So those are the main things. 33 home runs Jose Abreu hit was one of the highest totals he's ever hit. Um, and you know, obviously that's not factoring in like Matt Olson having a, an injury shortened season, Anthony Rizzo having one of the worst years of his career. Yeah, there's just like I feel like Jose Abreu, the year he gave you last year at age 33 
is probably about as good as he can possibly be. And he wasn't good enough to be top five still. Scott, There's I had a good him chance others pass him this year. Yeah, I had him. He's tenth. He was tenth in points. I don't know if you said per game or not. No, we're doing roto. Yeah, this oh, is for roto. I have him fourteenth. I fourteenth in roto. Mm. Am I yeah, wrong? So I have him eighth in roto as well. All right, and I did want I wanted to acknowledge that you know I do like him more in roto than points, just because he doesn't walk all that much. So definitely something you have to take into consideration, whether it's a points league or an OBP type roto format. Um, he is someone who is better in the batting average, the standard five by five roto. I have him as the eighth first baseman last year as well. And I did just want to point out that just ahead of him, you have Carlos Santana, Josh Bell, Trey Mancini, uh, DJ LeMahieu. And I think of LeMahieu, Josh Bell, Carlos Santana, we all kind of expect those guys to regress a little bit, or at least I do. And then obviously everything that's going on with Trey Mancini, we wish him the best and, and hope that he recovers right. from everything that he has going on. But uh, it's right. kind of hard to project Trey Mancini for the upcoming season. When it comes to me, look, I just think Jose Abreu, steady as they come, 284 or higher in five of the six seasons he's been in Major League Baseball, 30 plus home runs in four of those six seasons. And he is fourth in RBI uh, since he has joined since he has come over to the major leagues, he's fourth overall in all of baseball since 2014 in RBI. So I understand that projecting RBI is hard to do. It's much like, you know, projecting touchdowns in fantasy football. But if we're just looking at context, he led the American League with 123 RBI last year. And I think you can argue that the lineup around him got better, right? The oh, only yeah. thing it got, that it got much use, better, I think. It the did. only thing you can use for projecting RBI really is lineup context. He's and always good that, at RBI. He's a, he is an RBI machine. He's 100 every year, basically. Yeah, and if you worry about the age, right? So you mentioned he was, he's 33 years old. This is age 33 season. Last year, he was 32. Um, he posted his highest average exit velocity of his career, 92.1 miles per hour. That was 94th percentile in all of baseball. And he had the highest barrel percentage of his career at 12.8%. That was top 20. That was actually tied with his teammate, Eloy Jimenez, which, who people love this upcoming season. So... I just think that, you know, some people are going to regress that finished ahead of him last year. I think that he is just as steady as they come. I think projecting him to be a top five first baseman, especially in Rota, I just want to re reinforce that thought process uh, that I don't I don't think it's all that crazy. Adam, why does Anthony Rizzo go 17 spots higher than Jose Abreu in ADP this year when Jose Abreu has finished better in Rota in three of the past six seasons than Anthony Rizzo? I was wrong about Abreu. He he was eighth, Scott and Frank were right. I said fourteenth. He was eighth in Roto. So let me just say that. Uh, well, he's younger. I think people just sort of feel like Abreu's skills were going to decline, and he's been very in inconsistent with home runs, basically. And I do sort of feel the way Scott feels that thirty three, that two eighty four with thirty three home runs is about as good as you're going to get. He had uh, he had twenty two home runs last year. He was on pace for twenty seven in one hundred and fifty five games. 25, 33. Yeah, I know. He was on pace for 27, though, uh, in 155 games. Then 33. So he's usually around 30 homers, right? Um, and where has he finished? Where has Jose Abreu finished in Roto in his seasons? Uh, first at first base, sixth, 15th, third, 17th, and eighth. So he's just been kind of all over the place. I actually don't really like Anthony Rizzo in Roto. And I, I said that when we did the first base preview. He was someone I was avoiding. Rizzo is much better in points leagues, but he really doesn't stand out from a power perspective. Doesn't he's good, but not great in batting average. What he does is is he walks. So if you're in an OBP league, you definitely go Rizzo. If you're in 
batting average league, I'd still take Rizzo because I think he's safer and he's younger, obviously. But there's more of a case for value with the Brayu. I, I really yeah. with this. No, with this... I, I agree with that. I, I think if we're just talking about the five by five categories, which is what this argument was framed around, I expect their outcomes to be pretty similar. I think they'll hit 280 to 290 with about 30 homers. And maybe Rizzo will score more runs. Maybe Abreu will drive more in. It'll be similar. So from that perspective, Abreu is a better value. But that's obviously not reason to rank Abreu ahead of Rizzo. Like you said, Frank, you said three of the past six years Abreu's finished ahead of Rizzo. Well, I can only assume that means three of the past six years Rizzo's finished ahead of Abreu. I think you said three of the last four. You said three of the last four, no? No, three three of the last six. Why am I not hearing anything? Wait, hold on. I just want to make one big point. First base sucks after the top two or three. It doesn't suck, but well, that doesn't suck. It, it doesn't suck. But it's really like, is it Rizzo, LeMahieu, is it Bell, Muncie, Olson, Goldschmidt, Carlos Santana, yeah, Jose Abreu? Sure. It could be any of them. It's a big yeah. drop after Bellinger, Freeman, and then maybe Alonzo. My issue with Abreu is just he's kind of a floor pick, and he's a thirty-three-year-old floor pick. So I, I just I struggle with that because. It's possible the bottom drops out for him in a way that like we've seen for Paul Goldschmidt over the last couple of seasons where there weren't really signs of it two years ago. Then 2018 starts to slip a little bit. 2019, we really see him start to start to lose it. Yeah, I definitely agree that he's a floor pick and that might be a roster construction thing where if early in your draft, you take a lot of upside plays or in later in your draft, you plan to take a lot of upside plays. If you just want someone who's a little bit safer and can provide that floor, I think Jose Abreu gives it to you, again, uh, from a Roto perspective, is someone that I am targeting. I have him in a few leagues that I've drafted already uh, so far for this upcoming season, assuming we have a season. Hopefully we do. I think this is a good way to transition. You mentioned players potentially bottoming out here, Chris, uh, and part of the five stats that I have gathered from Scott's 48 amazing stats article. And I've got to say, they really are amazing. I quote tweeted it the other day and I sent it out and someone said that I was like advertising for CBS already, which I I guess I kind of was doing, but I actually really did enjoy the article. So that's why I wound up tweeting it out. Uh, But the first stat that I wanted to mention here, Scott, was you had last year, Juan Soto had a 282 batting average, 34 home runs, 110 RBI, and a 949 OPS. Over the past six years, Nelson Cruz has averaged a 285 batting average, 41 home runs, 105 RBI, and a 916 OPS. So I think when you bring up the possibility of Jose Abreu potentially bottoming out, people have that same fear with Nelson Cruz, and that's kind of why he goes as late as he does. The main question I wanted to ask you, Scott, was, is this an indictment on Juan Soto, this stat that you provided, or was this a pro-Nelson Cruz stat? Listen, the 48 stats were presented without commentary, so you can come up with your own commentary. I followed this one up with actually a very positive stat, stat about Juan Soto because I uh, I didn't want to make it seem like I was down on Juan Soto. It was more to put in perspective uh, just how good Nelson Cruz and how reliable he's been. I I wanted to do some kind of comp like this. I struggled to find a good comp that made the point because so few players that we think of that, that put up stat lines like Nelson Cruz has been putting up the past six years have been around for six years. Like I wanted the parallel of six years versus six years, but 
like six years is a long time to be that good. It doesn't matter how old you are. I mean, just like Nelson Cruz started being that at an old age. But like, even if you look at younger guys, nobody's doing that sort of thing over six years. So that was more the point. I feel like I'm a little low on Nelson Cruz, even among the consensus. You you pointed out everybody has him kind of low because there's that that fear at 39, the bottom's going to fall out. But I I think I might be overdoing it because that is that's an amazing stat. Yeah, and I love Nelson Cruz this year. I, I'm a madman. I've already drafted eight leagues that I'm going to wind up playing out, and I have him in three of those. And last year he played 100 in just 120 games. He was the 26th best hitter in Roto ahead of names like Labor Torres and Ozzy Albies, who are consistently going in the third rounds of drafts right now. And he was the seventh best hitter in terms of fantasy points per game in points leagues as well. So there's really no sign of decline when it comes to Nelson Cruz. You look at the StatCast page and all of his batted ball data, it lines up with either where he's been or it's even better, which is just crazy to imagine at his age of 39 years old. Um, but is it just a case of the age? Is it because he's utility only? It's both, uh, yeah. Yeah, Adam, you know, look, his ADP is at 82. I mean, if he comes anywhere close to what he did last year, and, and again, he only did that in 120 games, he's going to be worth that draft position, no? Absolutely. I, he's so good. Uh, I, I totally am in on Nelson Cruz. If I had eight leagues, I'd hope to have him in three of them. I did take him, actually, in the 14-team league. I have Nelson Cruz. It, and I like not having to fill up my DH spot with a top five pick or something like that. You know, being able to get him in the 80s, have the core of your team, and then getting a guy who's going to be your DH, it's a lot easier to do. Because I don't, I really almost never had David Ortiz, which was po- probably a mistake, but I, I yeah. couldn't commit to putting, to filling my DH spot. It takes so much flexibility away from you later in the draft. Uh, but doing it in the 80s is so much better than where you used to have to take David Ortiz. All right, next up, I have Marcelo Zuna's 241 batting average came with a 257 BABIP and an expected batting average of 288. No other player had a bigger gap between his ex-WOBA, 382, and his actual WOBA, which was 336, according to StatCast. His 49.2% hard hit rate was the 11th highest in baseball, ranking between Jorge Soler and Christian Yelich. So, Scott, Ozuna was perhaps the most unlucky hitter in baseball last season. He now plays for your Braves, so congratulations. What do you see as a realistic uh, 5 by 5 projection in terms of just batting average runs, RBIs, um, stolen bases, and home runs? I think I got that right. Well, it it is worth mentioning that he consistently underperforms Mm -hmm. his expected stats though last year he kind of took it to a new level i do think i do think there's a chance he he still blows away people's expectations uh just based on what the expected stats are showing realistically i would take kind of i guess this this is going to sound pretty lame but i would kind of average the last three seasons which includes that amazing 2017 season with the marlins where he was an all-star and got some mvp votes he had two he had 312 with 37 home runs and 124 rbi that year obviously that's not going to happen but if you take kind of the midpoint between those last three seasons you're talking about a 281 batting average 30 home runs 100 rbi obviously he'll have to stay healthy to achieve that but that seems 
realistic for Marcelo Zuna. And that's a pretty damn good season. So, yep. Chris, I mean, Marcelo Zuna, Eddie Rosario, and Nick Castellanos. I know Nick Castellanos is someone that you like a lot this upcoming season. But they're all going within nine picks of each other in ADP. And these are three outfielders that I've really kind of struggled to differentiate because I think that they do a lot of similar things where they're not necessarily going to give you stolen bases, but you know, solid batting average and good power numbers as well. They're all going very close to each other. So, Chris, rank Marcelo Zuna, Eddie Rosario, and Nick Castellanos for the season. I think I would go Ozuna, Castellanos, Rosario. I just... I don't think the underlying skill set for Rosario is nearly as strong as it is for Castellanos and Ozuna. Um, you know, the one thing about Ozuna is he did steal, what, 12 bases last season, which was, I believe, a he career did. high, but it's yeah. not, you know, more than doubled his previous high. He's athletic enough to do it. He was with a new team, so we'll see what the Braves do with him. But I just think that the underlying skill sets for both Castellanos and Ozuna are much stronger than it is for Rosario, who was awesome last year. 32 homers, 109 RBI. He only had an 800 OPS. I just, I struggle to draft guys who are good in fantasy, but aren't that good of hitters in real life. Uh, just because I feel like at some point you're just leaning on uh, something unsustainable. And, and that's how I feel about Rosario. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, the OPS is always going to be low for Rosario because he just doesn't walk all that much. 4.4% career walk rate uh, and a 309 career on base percentage. But you look at the batting average each of the past three seasons, 276, 288, 290, and the power continuing to spike as well. In that lineup, you know, it's just the Bamba squad, the Minnesota Twins, man. They, It's hard to find another team that hits as many home runs as them. Uh, but yeah, there you go. You So you had it Ozuna, Castellanos, Rosario in that order. Yes. And I mean, right. no, no, I had Castellanos. Well, you, you said Castellanos second because yeah. it caught okay. me by Ozuna surprise. Ozuna first because yeah. of the speed, I think. Okay. Speed I, I've, actually, I've actually moved Castellanos ahead of Ozuna. So you made a, such a strong case for Castellanos that I'm, I'm now higher on him than you. I, You're doing a good job, Chris. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> look, I, I, it's really close. I think there's a gap between Rosario and Ozuna slash Castellanos. I like those two guys quite a bit more. All right, next stat we have here is Edwin Encarnacion's 3.68 head-to-head points per game tied him for fourth among first basemen last season behind only Cody Bellinger, Freddie Freeman, and Josh Bell. We all know that he's likely going to miss some time because he has done that each of the past two seasons, and he's getting up there in age, obviously, but 34 home runs and 109 games last year. Still walks a ton, so that's great for points leagues. Scott, I wanted to ask you, you know, Edwin Encarnacion uh, kind of, to me, represents that cliff in first base rankings. And um, Adam mentioned this earlier that first base is, you know, after the top three, it kind of like really, really slows down. And I think, you know, when you talk about Edwin Encarnacion, I have him ranked 15th at the position at first base. And he really represents that cliff for me where you know, if I'm getting a starting first baseman, he is the last one that I would feel comfortable with. Does that make sense? Is that something that you would agree with? Yeah. Although to be honest, I've had a hard time being comfortable with even him. I don't, I can't recall a draft. I I can recall a draft where I missed out on all of them, including Encarnacion, but I can't recall a draft where I actually had to, I was compelled to, uh, to 
you know, I, I missed out on first baseman. And so I took Encarnacion when the time came to do it. I don't know why, like, I'm the one who put this stat out there, obviously. I, I understand that, uh, particularly in a points context where you don't have to worry about him hurting you in batting average or anything like that. He was still very productive. But I, I don't know. I struggle with this one. I, I just... I just don't feel like it's going to be a good season for Encarnacion, and I don't have a good explanation for it. It's just he's getting older, and I feel like the if the White Sox have other options, they might want to mix in at DH. And I, you're right, Scott. I, I don't know. I just I just yeah. have a bad feeling about it. No, it's a totally justifiable feeling. And look, I I think I felt that way about Nelson Cruz last year. I probably I felt that way about Edwin Encarnacion last year, and. I'm risk-averse, I guess, sometimes, so I don't want to put too much stock into aging players, but Encarnacion goes late enough where I've been eager to take him. I got him for $3 in our auction league. Um, So, yeah, I I mean, I'm still pretty high on him, and he seems like a lock for 30 homers and 100 RBIs. His batting average is terrible, but if you can get over that and you're getting him late enough, I just don't think it matters. I guess I'd sum it up, like, I, I don't want to have to depend on him for my first baseman because he's the last one at a position where most everybody's going to have a really good player. If you're counting on him to be your first baseman and that bad scenario that I'm fearful of does come to pass, you're you're kind of in trouble. So like I'd rather him be my second first baseman, fill in my corner infield spot, utility spot, something like that. And and then it seems like a good value at that point. If it doesn't pan out, you have a lot more escape hatches. And I, I think I like that scenario better. Yeah, I'll just kind of wrap up the conversation here on Edwin Encarnacion, reminding people that, again, 3.68 head-to-head points per game. I, I think he's better in that format because the batting average is going to drain you in a roto league. But he does walk a lot, so that plate discipline does help in a head-to-head points league. And he was tied for fourth last year uh, behind only Bellinger, Freeman, and Josh Bell. He represents reasons why I don't mind waiting on hitting in a points league because to me, the pitching, the elite pitching is just so valuable in that format and, and what they can do on a per start basis, how many points they can give you. And especially in a two start week as well, I've always been much more aggressive on pitching when it comes to head to head points leagues. And I think this is the reason why I think players like Edwin Encarnacion kind of justify that reasoning. All right, next up, Dansby Swanson hit 274 with 17 home runs, seven stolen bases and an 834 OPS through 88 games last year before attempting to play through a quadriceps and heel issue. Uh, He was averaging 3.29 head-to-head points per game. At that point, Glaber Torres averaged 3.28 head-to-head points per game for the season. If you take those numbers, the 17 home runs and seven stolen bases, and just kind of project that over the course of a full season, that's 31 home runs and 12 stolen bases for Dansby Swanson. And, and Scott, I'm guilty of this as well because I like Dansby Swanson and I want to draft him, but I don't have him ranked higher than the consensus. I mean, why do you think someone like Dansby Swanson is not getting more love just across the industry heading into the season? Shortstop is loaded. That that would be the main reason. I mean, Jorge Polanco's not getting his due either. Corey Seager, who was a first rounder two or three years ago, he's you know, he's outside the top fifteen or right around fifteenth for most people. It's just a loaded position and and 
the guy who's done it for half a season and his final season stat line ended up not being that strong because he was playing through injuries. It it's hard to push him up into a group that's that star studded. So I think that's the main reason. But look, in those fifteen team roto leagues where the player pool gets stretched pretty thin, you have to fill a middle infield spot. I think Swanson's a great value. He's somebody who uh, I don't think I have any shares of him yet, but I wish I did. Yeah, me too. I I don't have any shares yet, but I don't mind him. Even maybe you're probably right, more so in a deeper league, but even in a twelve team league, if you wait on your middle infielder, I think that you can do worse than someone like Dansby Swanson. Yeah. Uh, Chris, doesn't Dansby Swanson have more upside than someone like Didi Gregorius, for example, who is going about 60 picks earlier than him on average? According to Fantasy Pros ADP, uh, Dansby Swanson is going at pick 269.8, and Didi Gregorius is going at 200.4, so even more, about 70 picks. Chris, doesn't Dansby Swanson have more upside than someone like Didi Gregorius? Yeah. I don't actually think there's much of a question about it. Didi Gregorius is a guy who basically only hits home runs, and that's where most of his value comes from, and most of the home runs he's hit in his career have come at Yankee Stadium. I think it's something like 57% of his home runs have come there, even though he's only played 40% of his career games there. So it's it's a really big difference, uh, more so than you would expect for most players. And that's because he's a dead pool hitter. And Philadelphia is a good hitter's park, but it's not Yankee Stadium, especially down the right field line. And so I just think there's a chance you're drafting a, a 260 hitter with 25 home runs and basically nothing else in Didi Gregorius. So, I uh, yeah, I do like Dansby Swanson. I think the skill set is more robust. All right, it's time for me to pause the show here and introduce our, our new segment here, Adam. It's... New York Sports Radio. Oh, gosh. Do you, do you uh, miss Didi Gregorius and the fact that he's not on the Yankees? Because he's actually provided some great moments for me over the past couple of seasons just as a Yankee fan, uh, especially that home run that stands this out. This is a bad idea, Frank. This is a bad idea. This segment is not going to go. People hate us for being New York sports fans. Don't rub it in their <laughs> face. But uh, Philadelphia fans are going to love Didi Gregorius. He is a better player than you realize. Um, Swanson upside versus Gregorius upside. I guess Swanson has the ability to be a more well-rounded player. Before his injury, he was on pace for 27 homers and 35 doubles and five triples. Um, Didi's kind of an all-or-nothing guy. Uh, so I guess I'd have to agree with that take. Um, I think I'm going to end up taking Dansby Swanson in his 14-team league where I've completely punted on shortstops. Yes, I miss Didi Gregorius, and he is Philly's treasure now. All right, no more Yankee talk. I'm sorry, everybody. Of Lourdes Gurriel's 20 home runs last season, 14 came during a 32-game span from May 24th through June 28th. And I kind of broke down his game to uh, his season to like three different, I guess you could call it trimesters. Uh, First 13 games before being sent down, a 175 batting average with zero home runs. So he got sent back down to the minors when he came back up. That next two, 32 games that Scott highlighted, 352 batting average, 24.6% strikeout rate. So he lowered the strikeouts and he hit 14 of his 20 home runs, as mentioned. Uh, and then his final 39 games, he dealt with wrist, knee, quad injuries, uh, and he hit 242. The strikeouts basically stood the same as they were during that phenomenal 32 game stretch, uh, but he only hit six home runs. So, you know, Scott, what do we make of all this? And is Lourdes Gurriel someone that you are targeting? this upcoming season. I know a lot in the fantasy industry 
are really high on Lourdes Gurriel. And when you look at the overall, the data, the exit velocity, uh, the hard hit rate, that sort of thing, the strikeout rate is really not that bad for for somebody like that compared to somebody like Framil Reyes, let's say. I I get it. And normally the full stat line counts for more than sort of the segmented stat line that we talk about here. But in Guriel's case, because it was such a such a sample, a small sample of the season and such a big sample within that small sample was clearly outlandish production, clearly unsustainable production. I wonder if that crazy hot stretch pulled up all the data to a point that's making people think he's better than he is. And I don't, I don't know the answer for that. It, it's too small of a sample to really know, but I, I just, I, I have a hard time sharing in the enthusiasm for Guriel because of that. Say it with me, folks. Full season sample sizes are more predictive than partial season sample sizes. We've got basically one full season of Lourdes Guriel in the majors. He says his 606 plate appearances so far. In those 606 plate appearances, he has 31 homers, a 279 average, 85 RBI, 82 runs, and 7 steals. That's not out of line with what he did last season either. It's not like, you know, it was some one really small sample size carrying it. We've got basically a full season. The, you know, Scott, you said maybe the the small sample size, he got hot and it yeah. dragged the expected stats and the right. barrel rate and exit velocity. But all those things were basically the same as the year before. Well, what he, really slugged he slugged 100 points higher last year, Chris. His OPS right, was his, more than 100 points higher. But his expected slugging percentage was 463 in 2018, 510 in 2019. I don't expect him to slug 540, but you don't need him to slug 540. He was on something close to a 38 homer pace on a full season sca uh, scale last season. He's not going to do that, and you don't need him to do that because he's being drafted late enough where if he's a 275 hitter with close to 30 homers, a little bit of speed, and 80 to 80, 80 runs in RBI. That's a value where he's going. I would like to point yeah, out that, that you said full season stample, I think you said, instead of sample. Or at least it sounded that way. Which mm. I thought was really Freudian cool. Slip. Yeah. Frank Stample, full season stample size. I think we're, there's a team name Tuesday there somewhere. I, I, I was... Did you notice Chris said Deadpool hitter before? And I was trying to imagine what a always. Deadpool hitter was. He like, always says Do they that. never get injured? Are they <sighs> wisecracking around the bases? He always says P-U-L-L -L is P-O-O-L for Chris. Deadpool hitter. You know, you know what? You know what? <laughs> I'm surrounded by, by two New Yorkers and, and Scotty Slow Talks. And you're going <laughs> to pick on me for the one word that I mispronunciate? This is ridiculous. But how is Deadpool Hitter not one of your team names? Spelled like the like the comic book character. Because Dead I'm not going to play into your your critiques of my vocal stylings. All right. Well, I think it's great I think movie by the way. Deadpool, I don't know how hot of a take this is, but I would rank Deadpool just in terms of the superhero movies in the inside the top 3 for me. I think like everyone kind of has Dark Knight up there somewhere, but yeah. Deadpool Definitely inside the top three superhero movies for me. Is that hot? Deadpool hot too hot. Deadpool. Um, Deadpool sucks. Oh, oh wow! Nah, I've wow. never seen it. I've never Here's seen it. I've never you. seen it. All right. Well, I never saw it. I never saw it. I'm just kidding. It's not oh. top three for me. It's probably not top five. Uh, but 
it's very good. It it almost feels like a spoof of a superhero movie, right? Yeah. Like it's it's hard to rank it alongside the best superhero movies when it's kind of just it's kind of poking fun at the whole genre. Yeah, but, it's playing with superhero motifs. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I mean, I'm not I'm not saying it it's not a good movie. Either one of them, one one or two, they're both good. Yeah, I might. I think my top three superhero movies are all three of the Batman's Christopher Nolan. Yeah, I'd probably agree with you though. The original Captain Superman Winter Soldier has to be up there. The original wow. Superman yeah. was I'd great. Put, I'd probably put some of the Marvel movies ahead of The Dark Knight Rises. Yes. I used to love The what Dark is- Knight Rises. It used to be my favorite. The more I've watched it, it's pretty stupid. I, that, well, I love it. That's but taking it's, it too far. No, it's but it is. Really uh, dude, it's it, the worst of the three. It's pretty. I do love, it's good, but it's pretty stupid. I do love Bane's stupid voice. Oh, I do too. But yeah, I, like there's a scene. I tweeted this last week. Like they're fight. They finally face each other to fight in the in you know Gotham when there's the big brawl. And he's like, yeah. "Oh, you've come back to die with your city." And Batman's just like, "No, I've come back to stop you." Yeah, like, that is as, the as worst per- line. Come on, as perfect but. as the Dark Knight. And I would include Batman Begins. I actually like Batman Begins more than The Same. Dark Knight. As perfect uh, as they were. Agreed. Oh, Scott, agreed. The lines. Scott. That, that's mean, too controversial. Dark, Dark Knight has one of the dumber lines in comic book movie history, too. What, what is it? Why do you get to do this and we don't? Because I'm not wearing hockey pants. So <laughs> stupid. Did that <laughs> really happen? That line. I like that one. <laughs> it's really dumb because no, like, he was making is, the point. He was making the point that he that, that he's just rich. That's the only reason he gets to do it is because he's rich and can afford better and equipment. Connected, yeah. Well, that's is he wrong? <laughs> like he's better protected than those people are. That is not the critique that that movie means to be saying. Okay. All right, so I've already been told multiple times that I'm like the new Heath Cummings for liking Cesar Hernandez and. I pointed it out earlier today on the Facebook page that I also love Ian Happ. So I'm also going to keep a running thread of bad thing, bad takes that Adam Azer has made yeah. uh, with right. me on the show here because I know that's something Heath Cummings likes to do. So Deadpool sucks is definitely no, at the top of the list joking. for me. I was joking. I never and, even and saw it. Come on. Yeah, I, never, I never saw it. He was trolling. I was joking. I was joking. <laughs> I might have to start one for Scott White, too, after saying Batman Begins over Dark Knight. Just, yeah, just going right. to throw that out there. Yeah. Scott, I have Scott a lot wins. of controversial opinions, and they never get the same traction Adams do. So, Frank, you're running into an issue that I often run into, is that our show is going longer than we expected. So my recommendation for you is let's do a mailbag tomorrow and put postpone our emails till tomorrow. All right, so that's what we'll do. Yeah, and this is going to be admittedly a learning on the job process here in terms of timing. So I, I will try my best to uh, to get through that, and we'll have the mailbag. We'll have some emails on tomorrow's show, as Adam mentioned. I did want to get to the round sixteen through eighteen ADP because I know that's something that we wanted to do yesterday, but of course, uh, due to my rambling, we didn't get to that. So I did want to get to it today. And round 16 is where we uh, wanted to pick things back up. I know that you guys kind of finished this off with uh, round 15 a couple of days ago. So I'll, I'll throw this to uh, to Chris for, I know that this was an article that he wrote, his favorite picks from each round in fantasy baseball this season. Just just a reminder, round 16, the, the picks at that point, that's 181 through 192. And according to Fantasy Pros ADP, that would include Brian Reynolds, Scott Kingery, Lance McCullers, Luke Weaver, Mike Fultonevich, Giovanni Gallegos, 
Ian Kennedy, Paul DeYoung, Sean Doolittle, Marcus Stroman, Garrett Hampson, and Brandon Lau. So, Chris, who is your your favorite and your least favorite pick from round 16? This is where I like to get my uh, relief pitchers. And I really, I've drafted a lot of Sean Doolittle this year, but I really love Giovanni Gallegos. I think this is a great spot for him. It would not shock me if Giovanni Gallegos was the number one relief pitcher in 2020. He's got uh, the strikeout rate, the control. He just needs the job, really. And, and I think it's, we'll, we'll see because Jordan Hicks could be back by the start of the season now. But I think it's more likely than not that he's the closer for the St. Louis Cardinals. Yeah, so for me, look, he has all the stuff. There's no doubt about that. Last year, uh, Giovanni Gallegos, a 2-3-1 ERA, a 0.81 whip, over 11 Ks per nine, and his walks per nine were under two. So he has the swing and miss. The strikeouts are there. The command is great as well. I just worry about with the Cardinals, there are a lot of names there uh, in the back end of the bullpen, and, and I guess Gallegos probably presents the most upside, but I've heard the name Ryan Helsley kind of thrown out there that might be given some opportunities. John Brebia has pitched well over the past couple of seasons. Uh, it still remains to be seen what they're going to do with Alex Reyes. I think that if he does not make the rotation, which uh, last we heard, it didn't seem like he was going to be in the rotation, that there's a, a, a good chance that he's in the bullpen. So maybe he kind of works into the back end there as well. So uh, I get the upside of Giovanni Gallegos, but I just see a lot of downside as well in terms of, is he going to have the job? Yeah, I think that's fair. But at this point in the draft, you should probably expect the player that you pick to not be a huge value, and especially the relievers that you pick uh, this late in the draft. So I'm targeting upside there. If he is the closer, I think he's going to be a dynamite one. And the person who is the closer on opening day is not necessarily the person who is going to get the most saves. In fact, at this point in Major League Baseball history, it's probably as likely as not that the yeah. person who is the closer on opening day is not going to lead the team in saves. Yeah, this I would round, agree. This round's garbage. This I, round is wow. garbage. I like Luke Weaver, like, though. I like Lance McCullers, that. too. Yeah, I, yeah I, like, I like some guys, but I don't I actually know. love this range, so. Really? We're off to a great start here, Adam, <laughs> because I love Brian Reynolds. To me, he represents like a kind of poor man's Michael Brantley that can give you batting average late in your draft. Scott sure. Kingery, I think, has the upside to be a 2020 player. Yep. Luke Weaver, if he stays on the mound, I, I think we kind of saw last year uh, the steps forward that he took. Yeah, I draft him a Marcus lot. Stroman. Marcus Stroman showed some more swing and miss potential when he joined the Mets last year. I actually really like this range. The pick that I like the least, uh, I'm sorry, Scott White, don't hate me, is actually Garrett Hampson. Ooh, I'm sorry, Scott. Really? Okay. Okay. Um, if... If your steals are taken care of at this point, I don't know that there's much reason to to roll the dice on Hampson. But he's a potential 40-steal guy. It, it's going to depend on how much he plays. It's going to depend on how much that mechanical change he made in September uh, that led to basically half a season's worth of half his season's production in that one month or really just a couple weeks' time. Um, if that is legit. But I... Baseball America had him as the team's number two prospect heading into last season. It's not like he doesn't have the pedigree. Like things went wrong last year. Maybe it was because his mechanics were off, whatever. But he's capable of playing center field, shortstop, second base. I think he's going to play a lot, and I think he's going to run a lot. So he's somebody who, especially the premium being paid for all the steals guys this year, he's he's somebody who seems like good value in this format. And and 
frankly, I think he's a sleeper in points leagues too. It's it's going to come down to the playing time, but the upside is there. I think the difference in opinion just comes down to playing time, right? I just think the Rockies are just going to do what the Rockies have always done. And Ryan McMahon is still there and Sam Hilliard's in the outfield and they still have Ian Desmond and Rymel Tapia. They've been talking up recently. So I just worry about the Rockies being the Rockies and doing what they've always done and just not giving Garrett Hampson the opportunity. But uh, I do acknowledge that, you know, if he were given the playing time, he could definitely excel on the stolen base category. Round 17. This is pick 193 through 204. The players you're looking at here, Christian Vasquez, Ryan McMahon, Gene Segura, Andrew Heaney, Luke Voigt, Didi Gregorius, Christian Walker, Justin Upton, Dallas Keuchel, Adam Eaton, Jose Urquidy, and Carson Kelly. Chris, who is your favorite and least favorite pick from round 17? His favorite's Luke Voigt. Luke, love Luke Voigt. Let me see if I can pick his give, least favorite. Well, hold on. I'll, g- okay. I'll give the, the stat on Luke Voigt real quick. Uh, if you take out the 24 games after he came back from the aisle last season, he's hitting 298 with a 400 on base and a 547 slugging percentage since joining the Yankees. He has the potential to be like he could finish as the number four first baseman this year, and it wouldn't shock me. His least favorite is Ryan McMahon because he does not believe Ryan McMahon is a legit major league hitter. Uh, he hasn't been so far. I will say that. It's possible that he turns into one. He was very good in the minors, but so far in the majors, he's only looked okay because of Coors Field. He's been pretty horrible. Yeah, I, 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 I agree with Chris's takes, by the way. I was just teasing him. Yeah, And I, I like Andrew Heaney. I like Luke Voigt a lot as well. Has nothing to do with the Yankees. I just think last year before he got hurt. um, I think it's legit. I think, you know, his approach is one that plays well in Yankee Stadium. And and I'll just throw Justin Upton out there as my favorite pick in this round. Over the past three years uh, prior to 2019, his average season was 258, 32 home runs, 87 runs scored, 94 RBI, and 10 stolen bases. And you're getting that going around pick 200. Uh, I'll take that every single time. So Justin Upton, to me, uh, is my favorite pick going in round 17. Uh, Last round that we're going to talk about here today is round 18, pick 205 through 216. That includes Keone Kella, Mark Canna, favorite of Scott White, Caleb Smith, Joe Musgrove, Miguel Andujar, Kevin Newman, Joe Jimenez, uh, Omar Nervaez, Brian Anderson, Shinsu Chu, Mark Melanson, and Dylan Bundy, Chris who are your favorite and least favorite? Or, or maybe I should throw it to Adam. Adam, who are Chris's favorite and least favorite picks in this round? <laughs> okay, his favorite pick is Mark Canna. And that is also... Nope. Sc- I'm not Scott White. Yeah, but still. It, it should be. It should be. It should be. It, I, it's insane he's going this late. It's like... Who else I, how is that be? not corrected oh, it, It's yet. probably Shinsu Chu then. No. Okay, then it's no. Caleb Smith. You don't know me at all. It's Caleb Smith, Marlins man. You don't know me at all. Marlins! Uh, double play! It's, Come on, Marlins, make us proud. No, you don't know me at all, it's Adam. It's Joe picks in this Musgrove. Range, Joe Musgrove and Miguel Andujar. Yeah, and Miguel Andujar. That's what I was going to say. And you <laughs> don't like Joe Jimenez, because he's garbage. Uh, Yeah, I, I wouldn't draft Joe Jimenez. Well, this is probably a good time to reveal that I've already drafted Joe Jimenez in multiple leagues, Scott uh, Adams. Why? So. He's, so, he's so bad. Why is he so bad? He had a 14.8% swinging strike rate last year over 12 Ks per nine. Did he have like a good. 5 ERA? 
4.37, but you know, it's not not quite five. He's bad. <laughs> he's, he's he's the closer on the arguably worst team in baseball, Orioles. Yeah, I think so, everybody so would draft Joe. I, I think everybody would draft Joe Jimenez if they were desperate enough for saves, right? I mean, he's one of the last guys with designated closers to get drafted. Yes. Yeah, he's like a low end closer two or high end closer three. I would say if you draft like two or three closers, usually in your roto league. So you have the nine pitcher spots. I think the normal breakdown for most people is probably six starters and you know three relievers. I think Joe Jimenez either if you wait a little bit as your second closer or you know if you're a little bit more fortunate, you get him as your third closer. I don't think that I don't, I don't mind Joe Jimenez going in that range again. Shane Green pitched as the closer for you know the first half last year, and while they only had like thirty uh, wins in the first half. He had like 25 saves in those 30 wins. So whenever the Tigers win games, they're probably going to be close games, Adam. I mean, I guess so, but awful teams usually don't get a lot of save totals. Uh, just from from what I've seen over the years, uh, I, I don't know. Like he's just he's not he's just not that good. I guess he does strike people out, but his numbers haven't really been that good. I think we were kind of expecting him to become a really good reliever, and he just hasn't been. I think that's a fair take. We probably have expected him to be better than he has been uh, at this point. Uh, but yeah, that'll do it for rounds 16 through 18 here. And I feel like I have to wrap it up this way, Adam. And I'm going to point this one specifically at you. Okay. I'm a huge fan of Butterfingers. What do you have to what say about that? What the hell is the matter with you? You are lucky. You are lucky that these takes did not get exposed before CBS <laughs> hired you. Frank, I would have been keep an eye in HR's office, been like, no. There is a there is a popcorn out there that you can find oh, that yeah. is like it's like a bag of popcorn yeah. that has butterfinger like flavoring. It's incredible. Drizzled it's all over. So, yeah, oh, it's, yeah, it's, it's yeah. amazing. That sounds so great, Adam. I can't think of anything I'd rather have right now than butterfinger flavored popcorn. It kind of reminds me of. You know, you get like the three flavored kind of canister for Christmas. Love that. It's like the three different flavors of popcorn, the butter, the the cheese flavor, and, and like the, I guess it's what, caramel. Like caramel. Yeah, I lo- caramel love, sta- popcorn, yeah. love stale popcorn. Yeah, it reminds me <laughs> yeah. more of, of my first year working at CBS 2009, or CBSports.com anyway. I was in the office, the old office, and... There, for some reason, it was around Christmas time. Somebody brought in a gag gift that was bacon flavored everything. It was like bacon flavored chapstick, bacon flavored gum. I took the bacon flavored popcorn, and we I went to my friend's house. My two friends were kind of beefy guys, and we made the bacon flavored popcorn. I was nauseated by the smell of it. I could not even be in the room where it was so disgusting. And I had like one or two bites. I almost vomited, and they ate the entire thing. So they had no problem with the bacon flavored popcorn, but that's that was the worst thing I've ever had in terms of popcorn. Butterfinger you know what that popcorn. Tells me, Adam? Butterfinger popcorn might be worse than than the bacon. What? You know what that, that tells sounds me? like a dental floss issue for you, right? Well, <laughs> it just tells me that that bacon flavored popcorn was probably pretty good. Wow. <laughs> they thought it was. So I guess they wait. They ate the whole thing. We watched Taken on Blu-ray. Remember Blu-ray? <laughs> that was cool. I we, still have Blu-ray. I still have DVD. I still have a VHS player. Wow. I like that. I have a Nintendo. Blu-ray. Is it like 4K? Is it like 8K now? Is that what we're up to? Oh, we're streaming everything. That's true. Yeah. That is true. 
Adam, why do you hate Butterfingers? I mean, I understand they get stuck in your teeth, but it's worth it. It's like the the taste of a Butterfinger is so unique that it's almost worth getting stuck in your teeth. It's you get to enjoy the taste longer because it's stuck in your teeth. <laughs> I just don't understand like what's good about it. It, it really is just, just a bad candy. Um, I don't know. I I mean, what's the it's just taking two amazing things, chocolate and peanut butter, and somehow making it bad. And I don't really understand how they did that. Hats off to them, I guess. <laughs> All right. Well, just another terrible take from Adam Azer. Yeah, we'll have more you know of those, I, I suppose, coming up in the next few days, months, as well as we ramp things up for the fantasy baseball season. I'll have more of my uh, takes as well. I'll reveal those sporadically over the next couple of shows just so you guys can get to know me and um, so that I can argue with Adam a little bit. Never forget Adam Azer said that Deadpool sucks, which is one of the best three I superhero movies. I was joking. Movies. Stop it, you jerk. I was kidding. You're out, <laughs> Frank. Your homework assignment <laughs> is to watch Deadpool. Fine. With, I mean, probably not your child because that would not be appropriate, but he that's your homework for tonight, Adam. He won't get it. No, don't worry. Yeah, all right, fine. I will I will watch Deadpool. I will be a Deadpool hitter at some point in the near future. <laughs> Alright, apologies for everyone who sent in emails as well. You can send those over to fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. We'll have a mailbag type show tomorrow, so we'll get to as many emails as we possibly can. For Chris Towers, Adam Azer, and Scott White, I am Frank Sample. Thank you so much for listening to Fantasy Baseball today, and we will see you tomorrow.